Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis 2.15 and 1.26-28. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Noel. Good morning, and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are starting a new series today in the book of Genesis to look at our relationship with work. Now, why are we doing that? Well, one... If you go to Jesus' parables, there's, there's 37 parables, and 32 out of those 37 parables, he refers to work. And in his life, in his ministry, he refers to 22 different types of work. So, work is important to Jesus, and therefore it should be important to us. But number two, the second reason we should look at this topic is, be- is because the average individual spends 2,200 hours a year at work. If you go to church... Every Sunday, you will spend roughly 75 hours at church on Sunday. And I know that's if, that's if you all go to church, which I know everybody here does go to church every week. But 75 hours versus 2,200 hours. In other words, this is the place where most people spend the majority of their life. Surveys show that 85% of people feel some form of stress or anxiety at work. And so this is a topic... That we need to talk about. Now most people would say that work is your vocation. And so a lot of people who are retired or maybe you're a student or maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. You're like, oh great, I get to take this series off. Wonderful. No. Because the way we're going to define work here at LSQ, the way the Bible defines work, is work is anything, whether it's paid or unpaid, that you do that's not leisure or rest. And so that's, that's basically everything that we do. Most things in life is work. And so we need to look at our relationship with work, and we're going to do it today. We're going to start with three questions. Why work, number one. Number two, what went wrong with work? And then number three, what work will wield wonder? Why work will wield wonder? Those are all W's, if you were paying attention, because I care about my work, and I enjoy that. I'll say it again. Why work? What went wrong with work? And then why work will wield wonder? (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, number one, why work? Okay, 
the way that we answer this question, why work, the implications changes your life and everything about it. Do we work? Is the reason why you're working right now, it's just to make a bunch of money, to have a nice life for yourself. Do you work? Is the reason why we work to get our identity? Do we work to live or do we live to work? And I, I tell you what you can't use. You can't use science to tell you why you should work. Science is very good at observation. It can tell you what is. It can't tell you what ought to be. It can't tell you what you ought to be. And so before you can answer the question, why work, you first have to answer, well, what are we here for? Why are we here? What are we about? And those bigger metaphysical questions, uh, the, the secular answer is not very helpful. Secularism says this. Secularism says, hey, there is no ultimate point in meaning or purpose to your work or to your life. You've evolved. You've come out of nothing, meaninglessness. And one day when you die, there is nothing after that. And so that's going to be meaningless as well. And so logically, you have to admit, you have to have the courage to admit, then if you come from meaninglessness and then you're going to go to meaninglessness, then technically speaking, you can't have real meaning in between for you or for your work. In contrast, the Christian view st- states at the very beginning of the Bible. Go to Genesis 1. That's where, that's where our, our text is in Genesis 1 and 2. And it states a lot about work. In fact, the first verse of the Bible says what? It says, in the beginning God created. In other words, God worked. It's the basis of reality that God worked. And then if you skip down just a couple more verses, we get to these verses, verse 26 and 27, where God says, let us make mankind, let us make men and women in our image. Why? To do what? So that they may rule, it says. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, the first verse in our text, we're told the meaning of what ruling is. Ruling means to work and to take care of it. And so just a few verses, we have, what are we told? Our nature, that we're made in God's image. We're told our design, our design is to rule. And then thirdly, we're told the means, the way, it's through our work. And I want to look at each one of those facets quickly. First, what we find here is our nature. And we see that because, where? Well, notice in Hebrew, this word image shows up here three times. And Hebrew has no punctuation marks. There's no exclamation points. And so if you're going to show emphasis, if you're going to be emphatic, you repeat yourself. And it repeats three times. Why is this emphatically pointed out to us? Because in ancient times, kings and queens, when they had their territory, what they would do is they would commission statues and paintings and coins with their image on it. And they would put these out so everybody knew who they were. And if you defaced or if you broke or if you tore down any of these images, it was considered a crime as if you were attacking the king or queen themselves. It was that big of a deal. And the word for statue or image bearer is the same word that we find here in Hebrew. And so here's what you need. You need to see your value. What this is showing us is this, is that nothing else on this earth is made in the image of the creator God King. And so I don't care how you see yourself. I don't care what the world has said about you, what you've done or not done. You might be, have been told that you are nothing more than just a bunch of carbon that's been activated by some electricity in your brain. 
But this little phrase that you are made in his image means right now, even now, you reflect God's nature. That's a pretty big deal. That there's something about the infinite nature of God that's actually in you and resides in you, and you reflect it. And that means you are more precious, you are worth more than any other element in this world. More than gold, more than silver, more than platinum, whatever it is. You are more precious than anything else on this rotating rock. Whether the rest of the world sees it or not, or whether you see it or not. And it starts here on page one of the Bible that every single human is valuable. The homeless individual here in New York and the president are of equal value, and both are more valuable than anything else in this world. Now, a lot of people go, well, yeah, but most New Yorkers actually say the same thing, right? Most New Yorkers say, yeah, humans are valuable. They do, but big difference. They can't root it anywhere. When you push them and say, but why? But why? It's, well, because I feel it. Well, that's not good enough. At the end of the day, most people can't tell us why, but this can, because you're made in God's image. And so before we move on, will you see your worth? Innate worth. Because if you allow this to be your definition of who you are, you'll be able to handle anything thrown your way. And notice, very, this is really important, your identity is given to you before you actually do any work. This is a proclamation on humanity before anything has actually happened. And the question is, do we rest in that? Do we, is that the essence of how we see ourselves, at the essence of how we see the rest of the world. Because what we find here is that we are made in God's image, and there's innate worth. Now, that's our nature. Now, secondly, it's our design, too. We see our design where? The design is to rule. Why do we rule? Because if we're made in God's image, and God rules, and how does he rule? He rules by creating, and he rules by designing and making and so that's our job too, which is important. Why? Because what's different from us versus animals and plants, animals and plants replicate, right? They procreate, and we do too, but we're more than just that. Our job is also to innovate and create and cultivate, which means in this, you are not here just to make a bunch of money for yourself. You are not here just to kind of uh, get as much as you can so you can get your little slice of pie just so that you can have your little uh, self-contained comfort and happiness. That's not why we're here. That's not what this says. We are here to create and cultivate because making stuff is a good in and of itself. And, by, and conversely, if you're not doing that, if you're like, why, am I, why is things falling apart? Because at some level you're not living into your design. So let me try to apply this. Um, if you're a musician, yeah, if, you're, if you're a professional musician, you need to get paid, of course. But above that, what, making music there is something good and beautiful that when we listen to music, it brings meaning and purpose and beauty into this world. Because what's happening in music? In music, you're, you're literally bending the physical world. You're bending uh, wind in, in a, in a um, clarinet. You're bending sound and vibrations to form beauty. In my hand, a clarinet, you would be running the other way because I'm not going to be able to make beauty. But in a skilled individual's hands, that's what happens. Business is cultivating a product. Medicine is cultivating nature. Law is cultivating uh, order. 
Art is cultivating the physical elements, paper and, and paint and sound and dance. The trash men, right, the, the sanitation workers. What's amazing about them is that they, as they pick up trash, what are they doing? They are taking chaos and bringing order to it. That is the very nature of God. God, took, at the very beginning of time, took chaos, took no, nothing, and made something. And so we do that too in our jobs. We do that too in our work. It's our design. It's our nature. Now, thirdly, we go to verse 15 here. The way we do this is through work, by both taking care of it and working it. And this point is so important. I, I can't stress this enough. Work, this is all happening before the fall. And what that means is the very nature of work, the essence of work is actually good. And it means this, when, when everything's fixed and remade, because this was there before the fall, this is going to be, work is going to be here in the new heavens and new earth. There's going to be things to do. There's going to be work to be done. And that means the, the point of life is not, it was never to get back to uncultivated Garden Eden. No, the, the, the way of reality was always supposed to go forward with innovation and creation. And so if you go to the end of the Bible, what you find in Revelation 21 and 22, you find the city coming down to earth, which is where it was always supposed to be. One of my favorite places in New York City is at the, uh, in Central Park at the top of the Great Lawn, looking south. I love it because you have all this greenery, you have all this grass and trees, and yet almost it seems like out of it in the background you have skyscrapers and, and innovation and human creation. And what you see in Revelation is you see the city, but it's the garden city. It's this combination that I feel like what you see in Central Park is some version of what we're going to have, this beautiful garden city. And so before we move on, let me try to apply this real quickly with two applications. Number one, there is no such thing as just a job. N.T. Wright has this great image that, uh, you know, centuries ago, medieval stonemasons would work on, like, one big block. Like, it's, you know, bigger than a human. They would just chisel this little block, and their whole life, they'd come to work, and they would uh, follow the design of, of the, the builder of, of the, this cathedral, and they would be chiseling this block, but they often would die before the, the cathedral was created. And yet they did their work. It was amazing work. And yet you, the individual never got to see the final product. That's us. That we're all part of building. Our work, your work matters. Some aspect of your work is going to stick around. The parts that will be used in the new heavens and new earth to build this great tapestry that God is building. And we get to participate in it. And if that's true, no work is menial. At the end of the day. All meaning and work has, has meaning in it at some level. All work at some level is going to matter then. There, that's, that is something beautiful. That everything you do that nobody else sees is never wasted. There is so much power in that knowledge. That's the first application. And secondly... At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Expand your definition of work. 
if what this is saying is that there is no waste in, our, uh, in what we create or cultivate, then what we need to see is anything that brings order out of chaos is good work. And so your, your job, our job, you want to know what's the point of reality? Why am I here? What's the point of everything? It's to heal and fix images of God and creation itself. That means that you can do that. You can be on that mission as a stay-at-home parent or as a CEO or both. That your job is to love other images of God and love creation itself. And so when a nurse battles disease, that's being an image of God. When a teacher teaches, when a uh, parent parents, when you volunteer at a church, when you pick up trash, when you do all the unseen things for others, or even for yourself, or even for the world, there is good work there. And the question is, I want to ask you this. Is this your view? Do you, do you categorize your life? Is this, when you wake up in the morning, when, in your prayers, in your way of viewing yourself, is this how you see things? It's our nature. It's our design. It, the way we do it is through our work. It's the means through we do it. That's why we work. Now, number one. Okay. Number two. What went wrong? Some of you are sitting here going, all right, that's nice, Mike. That's great. I'm designed... Uh, you know, this is my nature, but if this is true, then why do I hate work so much? Why is it so distressing? Why don't we, why do we just live for the weekend? Why is it so hard? And the answer is, it's a big answer, is that while work is good, it's broken. This happens in Genesis 3, the fall, and we don't have time to go into it all this week. It's, we'll deal with it next week, but let me say this for now. If work is broken because of sin, I know culturally we don't like to use that term sin anymore, right? New Yorkers don't like that term. And if we ever use it, it's about personal individual failings. But the Bible views sin as much more pervasive. That sin is not just an individual actions. It's inside all things now. It's in our institutions. It's in our systems. And if that's true, that means everything has fallen. It damages creation it, it breaks things, and so we're broken, and the things that we're in are broken. For instance, my wife, she uh, works in healthcare, and I've, I've talked with a lot of you in healthcare over the years, and a lot of you lament the fact that healthcare seems to have, keeps moving towards more and more commodification, where the goal seems to be how fast can we see as many individuals as possible versus actually giving every individual the care and the need that they're due. And the reason why this happens is because time is money, right? And, and if time is money and money matters, money is, ends up mattering more than people. But what is that? If, just pause for a second. What is that? What's happening right there? In that moment, creation is actually ruling over us. Sin, from a global perspective, is when the created world rules over— we were cr- created to rule over creation, but sin has reversed— The created order, and now creation rules over us. Which means that every time we live our lives to acquire fame and power and approval and money and success, those are created things. And our need for those things shows that we're actually now being ruled by them. So when we try to find our identity in our vocation, when we try to find our identity in the success of our kids or or trying to have... The, um, a lot of you younger people, you're trying to live and try to find the right vibe. You're trying to find the right, you see, I, I'm cool, I use that word. Um, you try to find 
the right experience. You try to find the, uh, all, what's going on there. Every single one of those things, that, that's the creation ruling us because we need creation to give those things to us to feel like we're okay. And that's not going to work. There's a scene in the uh, second Wonder Woman that came out a couple years ago where it was set in like the, the 80s. The villain ends up becoming this person who's able to grant everybody's wish, which I think is an interesting concept, that the, the, the bad guy is the one who wants to give you what you most want. And he does that. Everybody, gets to, everybody starts getting the wishes that they want. And not only does the um, movie show how often your wish comes in conflict with somebody else's wish, and that creates problems, but even the wish that you want that doesn't seem to necessarily affect other people, it, it still breaks you. There's something broken about it. It ends up hurting you and others. And what I find interesting is seeing how whatever we really want, if we ever get precisely what you want, it'll lead to more chaos and more brokenness. Because most brokenness, I can say this, most brokenness in your life right now can, can be traced to desiring something created more than the creator. It's not because, you know, loving, wanting your kid's success or wanting your own personal success or, or wanting things. It's not because those things in and of themselves are wrong. It's the order by which you want them. When you want them more than you want God, when you want them more than you want what God wants, which is this world fixed and remade, that's when things break. And for all of us, that's what's happening. And so here's what, that's why, here's the problem, is that you can sit in this room, you can call yourself a Christian today, you can functionally think that you're a Christian, and act it, and say, oh no, I believe in the creator God. And yet, the way you, when you leave here, for the rest of the week, what you can do is the way you actually live your life, is I'm okay if my kids are okay. I'm okay if my bank account is okay. I'm okay if I have enough friends, my friend count is okay. What's happening all there is this misordered loves when we love power, approval, comfort, and control more than him, and it breaks both us and the world. What if the only way to solve the world's problems is for us to renounce our wishes? What we really, really wish for. How will that ever happen? The only way it's going to happen is if we find something or someone that satisfies us more than what our wishes promise. And that gets us to our last point, which is what do we do? Where do we go from here? You know, how can work actually wield wonder? Go back to our text, and there's a small little word that most people pass by in verse 15. It's the word put. That God put man in the Garden of Eden, and this word is a causative verb. That means that it's associated with rest. So you could translate this that he rested Adam and Eve in the garden. So the logical flow is this. He rested Adam and Eve so that they could take care of work. They, God took care of Adam and Eve so they could take care of work, which should then beg another question, which is, why did God have to take care of Adam and Eve before anything was actually broken? And I think this is a hint. I think this is a, uh, a little bit of foreshadowing. This is showing our dependency that God knew, even before the fall, what we would ultimately need. And what ends up happening is, is what's hiding in this particular text becomes the only explicit centuries later when Jesus Christ shows up. You know what he says to people? He says this. He says, come ye, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. See, what's, what, what, what's he saying there? Think why you overcommit 
today. You know, the number one thing that I get asked in this church in New York is often things related to our work and how we're supposed to and, and the fact that we don't have enough time. Your biggest felt need right now is that you don't feel like you have enough time to do the things that you want to do, whether in the church or in life. And almost always it's related to how we associate with work in our lives. And think about that. That Why do you think you're weary? Why are New Yorkers weary? It's because our relationship to work is broken. And the secular world says, you are what you do. And other religions say, you are what you perform, which is another way of saying you are what you do. Only in Jesus do we find that you get the rest before the performance. Only in Jesus do you find that the promise that is given right here is finally fulfilled in him. One of my favorite stories is the story of uh, Florence Chatwick. She was known as the best, one of the best open water swimmers ever. She swam the English Channel multiple times. And there was one year she was trying to swim on July 4th, 1952, 26 miles from, the, from Catalina Island to the mainland California. And the day that she did this, it was foggy, it was cold, the water was freezing, she couldn't see really in front of her, and she was swimming as hard as she could. But she got tired, her body was shutting down, and she gave up completely exhausted. Only after she got pulled out of the water did she realize that she was less than a mile away from finishing, but she couldn't see the shoreline, so she didn't know. Two months later, she tries the exact same swim, and it was the exact same circumstances, same uh, weather, foggy, couldn't see anything, water was freezing, and yet she made it to the shore. And when she was interviewed, when she was asked, how did you do it? How did you do it this time? And you know what she said? She said, I kept the mental image of the shore line in my head. And so what I find fascinating by that is this. Her circumstances didn't change. The only thing that changed, that allowed her to do her work, that allowed her to continue on, was that she had a vision of the beauty of the shoreline in her head. What if, if that was enough for her to make it, what if we had some vision of the new heavens and new earth the true shoreline that's, that could be for us in our heads, that could be our home. What if that was ever before us in our minds and in our imaginations? Knowing that, knowing that the things that you have lost or will be losing, the people who have been taken from us, the things that we never got, knowing that there will be full restoration and healing and redemption of all of creation, that we'll get those things back. If that is ever present in your mind, you know it's going to let you do? It's going to let you do everything. It's going to let you work and not overwork. It's going to let you not underwork. You're going to be able to, keeping this vision before us, will give us a gentleness and a calmness and a humility to take care of this world without either burning up or burning out. Like Florence, we don't need different circumstances. You think you do, but no, you don't. What you need is a different shoreline, a different motivator of your imagination. And I want to ask you then, before we end, is like, what, what's, what's your shoreline? To the degree that we see him as our rest, to the degree that we keep the, the new heavens and new earth before us, will you be able to handle this world and everything in it? Think what he did. Think what he went through to get you. And when you rest in him, when you, here's what rest looks like. It means 
You don't need to be loved and served and saved any more than you already are. You, you, you are that's already happened in him. And sitting in that space, see, rest is not necessarily inactivity. Sometimes your brains are the most active in rest. Which you, let, if you have that, it lets you serve others and care for others. It allows this, de- it allows this deeper rest. This, this rest is not just physical. It's not emotional. This is a spiritual, cosmic rest. Resting the shoreline, resting in the knowledge of our status as secure. See, Jesus, look at Jesus. He was crushed. Through the work of the cross, he was crushed so that you and I are never crushed by our work. We don't have to be. God rested on the seventh day. Go to Genesis 1. He rested because it was finished. His work was finished. Jesus, on that cross, was the last thing he said. He said, it is finished because his work was finished. And because of that, you and I can rest from our work too. I've been getting to do a bunch of research on the, the Japanese art of kensugi. Kensugi is when you take broken pottery. Ken means gold and sugi means to mend. It means, it's taking pottery that's been broken and mending them, putting them back together. It's really hard to do watching these artists do it because you have to use this uh, liquid-like gold to fill in the cracks in a way that joins the pieces that might not necessarily fit anymore to bring wholeness again. And what I love about this art is that it's a way of saying brokenness when it's mended actually can bring more glory and wonder and beauty than before. That means, you, that this is what it means for you and me. It means you, you can have brokenness in your life. The trauma of the past, your past, can actually lead to more beauty and glory and wonder and ability to love and serve in this world. It's powerful. That you might be broken. Life has cracked you a couple times. And yet, mended, you are more valuable and more beautiful than you were before. And you don't, therefore, need anything else in this world to validate you. Will you sit in that? Will that? But let that be the, the orientating nature of your life. Because it, when that does happen, it frees you. Why? Because now you can take a mundane job, and it doesn't rule over you. You rule over it. Now you can go to places like New York City, which what? has the highest percentage of images of God, the most valuable substance in the world, is here. And you can come here and you can do kintsugi with other people. You have been mended, so now you can be part of the mending process for others. That's what I love about this. Broken but redeemed. The gold that heals us now heals through us. Will you do this with me sometime this week or even today? Will you do this? Take everything that didn't come through for you in 2023. Take everything that, that you wished had happened and didn't happen. Take all the ways you served other people and they never recognized it. Take all the things you failed at, your shame, your hurt, and take the things that did work out. Take all the good. Maybe a lot of good things happened, but weren't enough, didn't fulfill, can't fulfill. Take it all. And then see how the Lord of grace loves and serves and cares and forgives and accepts me despite what's on that list. The more delighted you are in in that moment, in that space, which, by the way, has to happen regularly in our lives as we reflect and think, the more delighted you are in his love, the more that's going to restore the image of God that's actually in you 
And therefore, the more loving and wise and gentle and peaceful will you become. That's the essence of nature. It's all laid out for us already. Don't just say you get this. Please, what I'm most worried about right now is that you sit here on Sunday and you nod your head. You're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm, that's so good, Michael. Thank you. And then you go back out into this world still striving to try to prove yourself. Stop letting your work rule you. Stop letting creation rule over you. And the minute you trust him, that's what happens. There's this deeper rest as we order our lives around him. Don't just believe this in your head, friends. Let your very nature be moved by it. And you will find freedom from needing work to give you what it can't. And then you can serve and love others. And you know what the only thing left is? The only thing left is to lay your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Standing with him and him alone, gloriously complete. I love that. Meditate on that. Spend time reflecting, delighting, and wonder. And everything changes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good news. Change us. Move us. Help us, Father, that we, we are in, many of us are in New York to work. It is, uh, this town was created. New York City was created to make a dollar, Father. And ever since then, that is one of the ways that this world, this city moves. And Father, there's nothing necessarily wrong with commerce in and of itself, but it's broken. And therefore, it breaks us, and we're broken in it. And so just, Father, give us eyes to see what we really need and what we have in you. Put all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.